Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Shit, a podcast about buggy. The idea for this podcast came about like so many other great ideas in the history of Carnegie Mellon University. It was late one night at William Penn Tavern, and a group of us were sitting around talking about buggy and how many great characters and stories there were in the sport. And wouldn't it be great if we could record those stories and put them out and share them with the community? Well, this is an attempt to do just that. My name is Will Weiner, and I'm going to be your host. I've had the privilege of interviewing some of the biggest movers, shakers, and behind-the-scenes characters who have shaped Buggy into what it is today. So I ask that you sit back, relax, and enjoy as we shoot the shit. Chances are, if you listen to this podcast, Buggy is one of your favorite traditions. And one of the best ways to keep a tradition alive is to pass it down to your family. This episode is about that. We interview a couple of multi-generational buggy families. Uh, We have the Clays, who are second and third generation participants in the sport. Uh, We also have the Zapantas. The parents met as part of Team CIA. Uh, Their daughter came to CMU and, of course, carried on the tradition by joining Pika? The story behind that and so much more here. This is fun. This is heartwarming. Let's jump into the family episode of Shoot the Shit. I'm George Clay, and I graduated in 76 as a chemical engineer. And my son Ethan is here, and I'll get to you in a second. But my father, Vic Clay, graduated, I think, in 1949 or 1950. And he and I both were in Beta Theta Pi, and we both pushed buggy. He was Hill 3, I was Hill 5 uh, 25 years later, and my son Ethan was Hill 4. So Ethan, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Ethan. I was Hill 4 for Fringe, and I didn't make the A team. I remember that, but I, re- I do remember uh, growing up and loving to watch running, going back and forth to see exactly who was going to win. and as a youngster watching the, the runners for Zulu, I was always fascinated and really inspired. And, you know, knowing that my grandfather and my dad were all in buggy made it that much more special. And I remember but, now taking you to the, to the buggy races at Spring Carnival, and we would start out and, and watch Hill 1 and the push-off, and then we would uh, run down over Flagstaff Hill and go down and, and watch the end of the shoot. And then we would run over and watch Hill 4 and Hill 5. Well, technically, I'm, I'm, I'm not an alum. So that has me a different category. And, and I was not in a fraternal organization. But, um, and, and only a one-hit wonder because I, I transferred after my first year. And if I, you know, one of my major regrets is not being able to do buggy for four years of college. You only get four. Well, I guess if you... Can you can you push buggy for grad school? Yeah, yeah. So we can get into some of that too. But in general, it's not quite the NCAA regulations. Although that has changed over time. There used to be you couldn't couldn't do it as a grad. Um, right. You only get four years in life, you know, to push buggy. Most people only get four years to push it. So you really want to push all four years, all of those four years. So, in uh, looking back, I. I would probably want to push a little longer. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll, we can get into to some of that. The next family wants to, y'all want to go ahead and introduce yourselves. All right. I'm Conrad Zapanta, graduated in 1991, biomedical and mechanical engineering, 
pushed Hill 5 for CIA and was a push team captain. Um, I'm now back at CMU. I'm the associate department head for biomedical engineering. And I'm Laura Zapanta, and I'm uh, a 1989 graduate uh, in the Department of Chemistry, and I um, was a buggy driver for CIA. I drove my junior and senior years. I was late to buggy, um, but I got the thrill of driving for two years. Um, and I'm Katie Zapanta. I am a current sophomore at Carnegie Mellon. Um, I'm in the School of Drama. And I am the current co-chair and founder of Delta Gamma Buggy, and I am the head driver for Pike. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. I'm already getting some getting. hints of sort of the, the things excited about <laughs> hearing and, and getting uh, into with sort of these, these buggy families. I guess, George, maybe just to hop back to you, you know, Ethan shared some pretty interesting stuff of, you know, childhood memories, watching the races, going back. Is that something you also experienced with, with your dad, Vic? Um, no, I didn't. He didn't talk too much about uh, Buggy. Just explained it. And, and once in a while, we went out to see, you know, to see the Buggy races. But he, you know, he didn't uh, give me as much of an exposure as I did to Ethan. Some of the things I do remember, I, I definitely remember him talking about the fraternity, and that's what inspired me to join the fraternity, you know, when I was there. One story, well, I have, I have a few stories here and there I can tell. That's good. Let's go ahead and share that now, and then we'll kind of weave in and out with everyone else. He, the only thing I remember is that he was Hill 5 and Ethan was Hill 4. I'm sorry, he was Hill 3, I was Hill 5, and Ethan was Hill 4. I do remember some of the historical things that were going on at the time in the early 70s. I can remember when they would start push practice, and uh, I never pushed Hill 1, but I remember pretty much every guy that was pushing Hill 1, the first, the first session at practice, every guy would throw up at the top. It was, it was just grueling. And back in the early 70s, this was before safety procedures were in place. And there was a tragic thing that happened. There was a gentleman from, I think it was Delta Ta Delta, and they would do buggy practice without the full technical capabilities. They didn't have the brakes, which were hydraulic. Uh, they didn't have those. And I guess some guys were goofing around and they just sort of sent him down the hill on the back hills. And they planned to catch him and pull him back, but they didn't get to him in time. And he crashed into, I think, a tree and he became paraplegic. And right after that was when they, they started the safety procedures for all buggy practices. Wow. I think that was probably, I'm thinking 73, 74, somewhere in that, in that time that frame. That sounds right. Because that sort of within the timeline of buggy, right? That I know is one notable one that gets brought up, though really haven't gone into it too much besides talked a little bit with Tom Wood on that that one. And then 86 is kind of the big, big milestones. And I guess sort of with your involvement then going to CMU, uh, I assume, right, you were interested in beta because your father's involvement and kind of buggy fell down from there, sort of what was the culture like in terms of, you know, you join the fraternity, is it sort of expected you get involved with Buggy or kind of what was your decision making getting involved? Well, I was always a good runner. I was never into football or basketball, but, but I was always a good runner. And 
I did, you know, I could run the 100-yard dash in probably 10-6 at the time. And uh, and I actually never ran A-team. There was one guy that was about two or three-tenths of a second better than me. Jim Donnelly was his name, and he always pushed to A-team. So I pushed B-team. Uh, but, you know, but I loved it. And there was nothing like waiting for that coming up the hill, grabbing that, and just pushing it over the finish line. And I know that depending on the fraternity, depending on the on the buggy team, I should say, some team members would hold on to the buggy the whole time, and some would push off and catch up, push on and catch up. And the rule was you had to have your hand on the bar when you crossed the finish line. But at Beta, we always pushed it the whole way, had our hand on the whole time. I don't know which was better. Did you ever, were you part of any um, victorious teams with Beta during your time there? Because uh, I know they had a couple wins late. 70s I think I think when I was a freshman we might have we might have had a winning team uh, now of course my B team was never but I think the A right. team we may have won one year and I can't remember the year though usually Pika was the winner Pika was the one in in my era they were the ones that usually came out on top most of the time they were the ones to beat for Conrad and and Catherine, or excuse me, Laura, if you want to kind of go into your decision, right, late 80s, getting involved with CIA and independent, uh, and that was kind of right at a lot of the height of spirit, Bica and those battles. Um, why did you go with CIA? Um, well, I went with CIA. Like I said, I was late to buggy. I um, didn't drive until my junior year, and it was my friends who were in CIA who suddenly noticed that I was really short, and they needed a, a C-team driver for Black Magic, which was a dinosaur in its age, and it was on its way out, but it was still a buggy, and so um, I started driving Black Magic as a junior. Um, I had, of course, seen buggy races up until that point, but I was much more involved in the booth side of things with other organizations, so I, I, I started late but got the uh downhill fast bug very quickly it's 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 a thrill um that very few people have and can do and say they've done and there it's just nothing's like it it's it was just it was neat to be in an organization that was not necessarily a for, uh, a greek organization and people worked really well together um and, but we also had a little bit of history i mean black magic was was a great buggy and it was, it was kind of funny because I used to joke is that if you hit your line into the chute right, it really was magic because it would come flying around mm. and up hill three and it was just, it would just like sing the whole way through. You knew you hit it right. And if you didn't hit that line right, um, it fought you the whole way <laughs> with a big tank. <laughs> right. uh, one thing just, I'm always interested, all the, the drivers I've talked to so far on this one, right? You said you kind of got the go downhill fast fever pretty quickly uh, i always like to hear just that first time you were getting into the buggy you know <laughs> were you scared what's it like because it, it's you know like you say something so few people can experience um you know what was sort of the psychology in that experience like it's actually a little scary because you you get in there and then they like seal you in and you're you're you really can't see very much and um, they tell you they're putting all these, these plastic bags on your bar to slow you down and they're not gonna drop you fast, but then you start rolling and you go faster and faster. And it's like, what on earth did I get myself into? Katie's gotta say I something. Mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna jump in on that as you know the other driver in this. I mean, for me, 
it was, it was one of those things where they're like, okay, so, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna walk the course and they're gonna tell you all about the line. And I was like, okay, what is this line that everyone's talking about? And then you're gonna watch it from the follow car a couple times and then you're gonna do it. And I was just kind of like, great. But there's really no way to teach buggy. So there, there you really can't describe the existential terror, that <laughs> moment that you start rolling down the hill and realize, oh, I'm the one that has to do this now. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, it, it's something even like, you know, I, I trying to teach other drivers, it's like, there's really no way to do it until you're in there and you can feel it. And for me, there was also the other existential terror of, I was with a bunch of frat guys that I barely knew. And, um, <laughs> I, of course I'm like very comfortable with them now, but at first I wasn't. And, um, I was terrified and I was just kind of like, okay. I'm here and this is happening. But yeah, it's 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 definitely, it's so scary at first, but it is like, it's a thrill. As soon as you're like halfway down and you're like, oh, I won't die, then it gets fun. <laughs> I guess, uh, Conrad, if you want to kind of talk about your um, involvement getting into CIA, slightly swerving back there. I was just going to say this is not as exciting. Um, so I didn't join until my sophomore year, honestly, because um, all my friends, all my close friends were in the same organizations. A bunch of us, I think the way it worked is were the, the two orgs that had a lot of overlap back then were Alpha Phi Omega, AFIO, and CIA. So we used to jokingly call it CIA FIO at that point. The, uh, they went up freshman year. So for those of you who remember, that was a year it snowed. I remember that. Um, walked, saw Buggy, thought it was pretty cool. And then sophomore year rolled around, uh, wanted to sign up. And honestly, I joined CIA because I had a lot of friends in CIA. Um, so then Hill CC team. So this is where we start the wonderful classic Carnegie Mellon story. I was my wife's C team pusher on Magic on Hill 5. And if you dig through enough of the pictures, the slow guy on Hill 4 for C team, and I call him slow with great love and affection, was my roommate, Dan Casey. Hopefully he'll hear this and remind him how slow he was then and now. Um, <laughs> he was the best man at my wedding. So um, kind of a funny little thing with that. And then I moved up to B teams. Uh, junior year was assistant push team captain. And then um, senior year, knew it wasn't quite A team material. I mean, I was always a runner. I was kept pointing out to people I was a distance runner. So I always said if Boogie was like three miles, I kicked butt. But it was only much shorter than that. <laughs> So senior year rolled around, I actually blew my ankle out playing basketball about three months ahead of time. So I remember showing up to free rolls in crutches, which horrified people. Um, but in the end, so I actually, we're joking about NCAA, I think I have a red shirt available somewhere, break out one more time. But then ended up, uh, you know, using three of my four years. And is that, I assume, how you two met uh, Laura Conrad through CIA? I, I don't know. We we were in, both in AFIO and CIA. I don't remember where we met first, but he was the one that brought the roses from the buggy team to the apartment senior year. So that probably had something to do with it. I <laughs> oh, that's right. Because yeah, yeah. I remember that. Right. Did you guys get roses? I got roses from my buggy, well, from my push team. To be fair, she made us dinner. <laughs> so that was a little bit of that as well, too. She took care of us. I think I remember, I think her mom brought us cookies once, maybe. Um, her mom, my future mother-in-law, we, we started, uh, I think we started dating after Buggy was over that year, mm. after Carnival. And so I guess we just got used to hanging out 
And so, you know, as we kind of go around, when I tell, show people that Hill 5 picture of me pushing her, I look like I'm really fast, but I'm not because, you know, my feet are in the air. We always say that I got to push my wife around. And then my <laughs> wife will always respond, but she got to choose what direction we went in. <laughs> and I think it's something about 30 years of marriage that's just wrapped up in that entire phrase. One thing, sort of a little bit, just kind of talking about the relationship, right, between pusher and driver. And I think also just driver recruitment is always fascinating. Um, George, maybe kind of to dip back to some of your experience, you know, what was driver recruitment like back then? You know, what was that relationship between pusher and driver like in terms of uh, the team and the cohesion, especially, you know, being in a fraternity and, you know, needing to recruit obviously outside the organization? Well, we only had drivers from inside the fraternity. And I can remember- Were you still when there was male drivers? Oh yeah, we only had male drivers back then, but they, there were female drivers uh, in other organizations, but ours were only male. We didn't recruit outside the organization. And we would look for guys that were very short, very light, and we would, you know, we would put them through rush and you know, really want them to be there, just like we would for the football players or, uh, or for other people as well. But uh, we were definitely looking for men that would fit inside the buggy, which there are not too many that could do that. <laughs> and, and, and I remember some things about the technology. I remember there was a lot of secrecy, getting special wheels from Argentina and uh maybe to this day still they have the buggies being prepared inside trucks so no one could see what they were doing nobody could see what their secrets were but that was a big deal back then for sure you let the cat out of the bag about argentina oh yeah <laughs> oh i'm sure it's i'm sure it's long gone and i remember we used to soak the tires in a certain solvent which i'm not going to say which it was but uh, we used to soak the, soak the tires in a certain solvent, and that was supposed to make them go faster. But I remember one time going down through the chute, the tires just shattered. I, I always find the, the secrecy a little fascinating, just how that's ebbed and flowed and changed over time, even like the, the Argentina thing and oh, yeah. know, some of these wheel maniacs. I talked with Mark Estes on one of these a while back. And, uh-huh. You know, we probably could have had a not that he would divulge this much info, but, you know, three-hour conversation about wheels and all the conspiracy theories. I guess kind of jump back in chronologically. I think, Ethan, your your kind of intro to Buggy is up next. So you mentioned, right, you remember going to the races and and running and, and chasing and following. So, you know, even kind of as a kid, was this something you sort of had your eye on in terms of wanting to be a, a pusher and involved in the sport? At the time, I, uh, at the end of high school, and I, I was pushing in 2000 and maybe 2001. I was pushing in 2001, spring of 2001. I think I went to CMU partly because I wanted to push buggy. At the time, I really wanted to not be in Pittsburgh. Uh, and ultimately, that uh, was overpowering. And I still have pictures from that, too. I'll have to, yeah, we can't share them here, but... Maybe I'll email them to you. And, and I can also look at it and say, wow, I mean, everyone else has, has these, these long experiences with Buggy, and I can only imagine what that would have been like to stay at university and to 
have those relationships for four years and to get married through buggy i mean that's just fascinating and it's it's the most amazing thing to think about how it it models the entire world that you can have industrial espionage and all of this international technology supply chains and and the people what it creates in the world is is fascinating who knows what relationships from that that little loop i don't even know the length who knows what those relationships have created throughout history yeah and i think for me that's been one of the more rewarding things in in doing this podcast and interviewing people is the relationships always do seem to rise kind of to the top as you know the biggest takeaway regardless of whether someone was a pusher or a mechanic or what have you and you know i think that's why enough people are crazy enough to you know, call into, I think this is the seventh or eighth one of these I'm recording. Now that many people have that much time and dedication is a lot of it because of that. So, right. You get, you kind of knew you wanted to be doing buggy. Was there anything in particular about fringe? I know they were pretty strong at that time in history. Was that what drew you in or what was it about uh, the fringe culture? I honestly forget. I think I just made friends with someone. I must have made friends with someone and I, I was very interested in joining a fraternity and I'm ultimately just, I'm very much a hermit and I just felt overwhelmed by the idea of, of being in an organization, another organization. And, but I really wanted that and PICA had the best parties. I, I used to, I, I loved uh, going there and wanting to push buggy with them and those are some of my best memories too. Um, but ultimately, when I didn't join fraternity, the only way that I could I could experience Buggy was to join another organization. And I I honestly can't remember why it was fringe. There may have just been an opening. Interesting. I do know at that time they're pretty good. If you're going to join an independent, um, they're a pretty good one to to join. I know they were battling pike for the top spot kind of right there at the early aughts let's jump now over to uh katie i know your parents are on the line so maybe pika parties isn't you know a reason you wanted to drive for them but, um i am curious especially right coming from a cia family you know how much exposure did you kind of have to to buggy growing up when you did end up going to cmu yeah, so before I get into the drama of, of me choosing what team to join, um, I definitely remember as a kid going to Carnival. There's There's got to be a picture. There is a picture um, somewhere of me as like a seven-year-old um, watching a walk through the shoot. Um, so it was definitely something that it wasn't necessarily the reason that I went to CMU, but it was definitely something where like if I go to CMU, this is one of the first things that I'm going to join. Um, especially I remember being a kid, CIA, I think put me in Black Magic in um, one of Fringe 2. I think I got into a Fringe. I've probably been in so many buggies. Um, I definitely, when I was a kid, got into like a Fringe buggy and also Black Magic, I think, um, just like at Carnival at like at buggy showcases or whatever. So it's definitely always been something that has been a part of my childhood growing up in, in the CMU culture. And then when I came to CMU, you know, I, I hadn't grown that much. Um, you know, I, I pushed 5-0 on a good day. Uh, so 
the first week of classes was already scary. It's you've got all of these buggy organizations lined up like on the cut and they're basically like heckling all the short people as you walk to class. Um, <laughs> so it was already like, okay, yeah, I'm probably going to definitely be joining an organization. Um, I ended up, now we're gonna get into drama. <laughs> um, my parents can weigh in on this, but so I ended up one of the first days of classes talking to the CIA people, told them that who I was, I basically like name dropped and they were like, oh, okay. I got fitted into one of their buggies and then I don't know what I, <laughs> and I'm sure there's discrepancies. my dad's laughing and shaking his head at me, but I like got into one of their buggies and they were like, just kind of like, okay, cool. And then they like never really emailed or called me or told me that like I was on the team so I, I was kind of like really confused like I guess I'm not driving for them there's just some there's some kind of lack of communication I don't want to go into it but there was some lack of communication I was going through FMR which is sorority recruitment at the time and um Vic uh, who was running sorority recruitment and was a head driver um for PICA last year I love her um, she I was kind of staring at me all week in like a really creepy way. And I told her this, you know, months after I joined, she was like, obsessed with me, stared at me constantly. And like, it got to the point where I was like, okay, this girl, I don't know what her deal is. And she comes up to me at uh, one of the FMR days and she was like, so you've thought about driving buggy? And I was like, yes, crossed my mind. Um, she was like, do you have a team yet? And I was like, no, I don't actually and she was like great you want to drive for the best team out there and I was like sure <laughs> and so um, that's kind of how I became a driver for Pika. I really did just follow Vic's lead there I absolutely worship the ground she walks on so it was a good choice so I remember that while this drama was going and keep in mind I was I, I, I still am a faculty advisor for CIA so you know, I was doing a little back chatter saying, hey, have you talked to her? Yeah, 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 she's coming, okay. Um, now, the discrepancy does come to mind, like, does, this is like, she's sitting by me. I think Katie wanted to be wooed a little more. I, I did, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm 4'11", you know, I, you know, people are chasing me down, you know, I wanna, I wanna have that competition. Anyway, so, so according to the CIA people who will probably listen to this, and some of them are my, were my students, so I can go back and change grades if necessary. According to them, she was put on a D list, and then that was it. There wasn't like any, so I think, you know, it is what it is. Um, but the funny part is, I do remember when this was going down, she sent, uh, Katie texted me and said, how would you feel, hypothetically speaking, if I drove for PICA? And I said, we're not having this discussion. Um, and then move this forward until where I had heard a rumor that she might have gone to a pica buggy and that she might have caped in a pica buggy. And keep in mind that my dear daughter did not tell me this. I'm hearing this from the bazillion other people I know doing buggy. And then it turns out when I found out how she, that she actually went down a hill in a pica buggy, was the safety chairman who happened to be one of my students. And from what it sounded like, if I recall this, we was at a, for biomedical engineering, we had some kind of open house or something. And there were at least five or six people involved in bugging, including three squeak state people. And they literally sat around before that uh, open house, who's gonna tell Zapanta that his, that his daughter's driving for Pika? And no one wanted to tell me. <laughs> Was I clearly didn't wasn't going to hear from my daughter. Um, so then I heard it from 
from, I think it was the safety chair or one of the chairmen. And then I immediately texted her. I said, this is the way you shame the family. <laughs> I mean, you like, don't play the violin. You don't become a doctor, but you drive for a pika. I mean, in, it's in the end, you know, I think it's a, um, it works out. It's fine. It is worth some heckling. Will I ever wear a pika shirt? We're going to have to think about that for a long time. <laughs> but, but I've told her clearly, I will wear a DG buggy shirt like there's no tomorrow. So, um, But I think, you know, in the end, I think a little thing that I did tell her, and I think, you know, one thing mom can jump in as well, is that whether or not the all the mechanics remember this and all the chairman and everything, in the end, that driver's really in charge. It's up to him or her to decide, if I don't feel safe, and it's one thing we always tell Katie over and over again, if you don't feel comfortable, you're for whatever right. reason, don't go down the hill because you're the one strapping on the pieces of secret material with wheels uh, and going down that hill at 40 miles an hour. So anyway, I think the important thing for that long story is I was never told directly by my daughter <laughs> that she was driving for Pika. And then I told Laura and Laura said, what the heck? <laughs> Might have been stronger I thought he was joking, but yeah, I, it, my big question was, as long as they treat you right, make sure they treat you right. And most organizations treat their drivers pretty well. <laughs> I did, I do think that I had heard stories that, I, from, to be fair, from, from I know a few of the, of, of the, of the Pika guys and, and some of the pushers as well, um, you know, it's, they are treating her well. I think the rumor, I think Katie had told me they pick her up like in a car even though she lived in Mudge, yeah. to drive her to the hills. I don't know they, how to walk anywhere. And then they also give her like cappuccinos and stuff. Oh I yeah, pathetic. <laughs> I mean, there are worse things in the world than having an entire frat really like at your at your beck and call. So, if I, I made a joke once. I, I made a joke about wanting to be like carried to classes. And I think they, they genuinely thought I was serious for a little bit. And they like, well, we, they were like, well, we do have pledges. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm kind of joking. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> She's, she likes being queen. If you think about, you know, when you're 4'11-ish, you're at a school, she's five. I actually think she's shrunk. She's been at CMU, but um, I think, you know, and same thing with Laura as well, too. When you're, you know, the short person in high school, no one really pays attention until you get to CMU. Then everyone pays attention. Katie, you mentioned, right, that freshman week when uh, all the buggy orgs are out. And this is something I was actually talking with a friend offline and didn't get recorded was saying, I think with SDC, what they would do is they would send a current driver out. And if they see you walking across the cut, have the current driver walk next to a short freshman. So the chairman could evaluate how close they are in height um, and how similar of a fit they would be. They'd have someone taking notes from afar. It is one of the wildest parts of yeah. <laughs> yeah no i think one of the organizations i want to say it was cia but it could have been like fringe or spirit i i don't know but they had like a by their like little booth set up they definitely had like a stick that like had like like measurements on it that they would be like they just hold up between classes so i i remember that we used to use tape when i was in school like you know the uh you know when you walk out of a sheets or something and, or a Home Depot, which is odd if you think about it. They have the how tall you are. We used to use something like that, but it was a single piece of tape. It was strategically placed on the cut or by dorms or something, and people would scoop it out that way. If you basically are shorter than a piece of tape, then you're less than five feet tall. So, so it sounds like maybe for you, Gady, you know, interested in sort of expectation versus 
reality, it sounds like probably your experience. How has it compared to, you know, what you thought it might be? I mean, I absolutely love um, everything that I do for Buggy. You know, I, I always say that I want to get out of CMU and have done everything in Buggy. I mean, I, I was chair, um, like basically created a Buggy program. So I have that checked off. I have driver checked off. I tried pushing once at a capes. I don't know if that counts. It definitely didn't go anywhere. Um, I do want to try to build a buggy someday, you know, with DG probably. Um, so I, I think I count buggy as probably one of my biggest things I'm proud of at school, if not the, the biggest thing that I'm proud of at school. And it's definitely something that, I mean, it baffles people how I do it just because school of drama is already such a huge time commitment um and buggy is is probably the biggest time commitment i would say at at cmu so it's definitely like people coming up to me all the time being like katie like you're absolutely insane how do you do all these things like why do you care so much why are you pouring your heart and soul into it and i mean i don't think i have a good answer for that but it's definitely the thrill of driving is something that like my mom said only such a small population of like the such a small population of of anyone can say that they've done and I just think the fact that I'm you know like biologically um fit for that is just some kind of stroke of luck and I, I just feel like I'd be wasting my talents you know I always know I always drivers I'm like you are wasted talent you know so yeah I I've lo- I love buggy I love every part of it yeah, and, and that, I guess, sounds like them kind of was in line with, you know, your expectations coming in. Did you think you would get this obsessed? I mean, definitely not. Starting out Buggy, I, I was actually pretty scared of Buggy the first couple roles I went to. I was I was genuinely like, oh, do I have to go to roles? I'm, I'm scared. Um, and, you know, it's become such a huge part of my life and I, I love the community of it so much. I love the the friends that I made along the way. I love the leadership capabilities of it. I love getting to talk about it in like every job interview I go into. And it's it's become such a big part of my life now where, where I'm sad now that I don't have school and I don't have someone yanking me out of my bed at 5 a.m. to throw me down a hill. <laughs> uh, I guess, Ethan, maybe kind of to, to compare with that just in your experience you know kind of having that childhood and excitement getting to go through a race day and be part of a team and uh have at least one kind of season under your belt how kind of did it compare to what you had in your mind or what you may have heard from your dad it was wonderful i have i mean i there were some mornings that i did not want to wake up and be pushing someone i just i just didn't want to do that and i'm and, and the wild thing is the effort that everyone has to put in is is so intense it inspires you to to reach new levels of self because everyone else is doing it so i'll hang out too and and um it was a lot of fun i remember uh i was a a morewood 4e freshman and we would you know a lot of us were curious about it and a lot of folks tried out it was just one of those fun things to do and then to, to actually be in it, to be on a team and to see it all come together and to not be a part of everything, but to see everything come together and to be there for the race day and to have my grandfather and my, and my dad and, and my grandmother 
That's right. Bubby was alive back then. Yeah, everyone. Uh, everyone uh, yeah, that's everyone amazing. Was alive. Was three of us were there when you raced. Wow, that's pretty incredible. And so it sounds sort of like for you, you know, it was partially being able to, you know, fulfill that goal of getting your own opportunity to do it and part of kind of seeing the culmination of all the effort. But, you know, what other, are there any specific sort of memories or things that really stand out to you, um, Ethan, in terms of just what was so, you know, special and enjoyable about that year, you know, beyond the, the work and effort? I, I really have the best memories it feels, it really feels like a lifetime ago. And when I think about it, yeah, it was half of my life ago. And it, it's more of a feeling I get. I don't have specific memories. I just have really exciting feelings when I, when I have little images, you know, whether it's the steam tunnels, the, the conversations there, or, you know, sipping coffee to warm up for the next push, like whatever whatever it was. And, you know, even, you know, the feeling of the, the feeling of frustration because you lost your spot on the A team, but then the excitement that your A team was just about to crush it. I just remembered you had blue hair when you pushed. Do you remember yeah, that? I, well, I think the buggy, the buggy was blue. Ah, and I okay. can't remember, it, it was either brazen it's always with the B, but I, and for some reason, I just, I can't remember the buggy. I believe it was brazen, but brazen was blue. So it had to be blue. Yeah. And, you know, I guess George also, I guess to kind of go through on that, right. You know, you and Vic able to watch, but what was that like for you, you know, actually being there on, on race day, seeing Ethan get to go um, and, and, you know, what kind of feelings did that stir up? It was pretty amazing. Um, to have my dad and my son and we're you know all three of us push buggy and coincidentally all three of us pushed the the back hills so uh it was really something i know my dad loved it he was proud of ethan and uh and i know he was there for you know for times that i pushed even though i was on the b team as well you know he was always proud to see me there yeah i I do have pictures that people took of me now that i remember it's finding them is another story (laughs) back and and pushing Uh, i would guess then maybe um contrasting that laura conrad you know katie's first year last year obviously there was some drama in the uh Uh, there was no announcement no there was no (laughs) but once uh but once it's kind of race day you know the reality sinks in you find yourself you know cheering for I, oh yeah or? definitely definitely I was cheering for them all the way but um I have to say it was 400 times more nerve-wracking watching your daughter go down the hill than doing it yourself because I was a nervous wreck because I guess maybe I knew everything that could go wrong and I was like just get through the shoot get get through the shoot get down the hill get, and um and it was it was it was much more nerve-wracking to watch than to drive for sure. I remember I, I called my mom either it was the morning of or like the night before and I was I was so scared Jeez. and I, I called her and I was like I know you drove for a different team you can't tell me everything and like you have a different line but like do you have any advice I'm freaking out um which her advice was pretty much just like get through the shoot. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think you know one thing watching uh you, you see all those old you see those videos of fighter pilots when they like use their hands to show like maneuvers and you know um, how they get into positions and things like that. 
watching the two, watching Laura and Katie talk buggy shop, like they're like fighter pilots. They have their hands out. They talk about like, you know, go here, you go here, you move here. It's just, that was just a hoot to watch. I think, you know, one thing, so a little bit different, because I will, I know you were there, was, you know, I think, I think I'm most proud of race days, actually, race weekend is the next day where I plotted, and the keyword is plot, to push Katie for Hill 5. So one thing I will thank to all the Pika guys listening to this right now, I do. He had pained him so much to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, that they let me uh, push my daughter Hill 5 in an exhibition race. And I think really quickly, well, it was the, I think it was almost like, you know, it was Ben Matsky pulled this all together. There was talk, remember, about having college versus college for exhibition race. And they mm-hmm. grabbed me because it made sense since I'm on the, um, I'm, I'm an alum, I'm faculty, I might know people, et cetera, et cetera. And then when that went down, I'm thinking, wait, this is a perfect opportunity for me to push my daughter. So I will say that I entirely plotted and I think Pika <laughs> be a bone there. <laughs> and there's a really funny story from my end of it is um, when I got out of the buggy, I turned to my, my Pika guys and I said, was he actually pushing me? Um, because I felt like I was rolling backwards. I was going so slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the way I look, okay, so that's, that's fair. And so um, I think, you know, the, I was faster back then. Um, let's just say, so I'm sitting on top of, so it was MCS versus CIT. We got it all worked out. I was going to do Hill 5 all by myself. because I wanted, you know, I wanted me time with my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I'm lining up by the MCS guy. And the MCS guy, uh, I never met him before. He was, he said, I said, do you run a lot? He said, not now. I used to run track in college. Oh, what did you run? I ran hurdles. And I'm thinking, oh my, at where, where'd you go? And he's, I went to Cornell. So I'm sitting there going, great. I'm racing against a division one hurdler. <laughs> this is not going to happen. And so I said, I, my goal was just, and I remember Amy Burker telling uh, vice provost of education, telling all the faculty who were pushing, don't hurt yourself. Just don't hurt yourself. And I remember then just said, there goes the sprinter down taking off. And I'm just watching that dot fall in the distance and keep telling myself, don't hurt myself. And of course, he pulled a hammy halfway down the hill. And then I don't know if you remember the buggy just kind of, the MCS buggy just kind of rolled there for a while. And then they right. came to pick it up. Had I known that was going to happen, I would have run a little faster. <laughs> but honestly, I think, you know, one thing, and, and one of the Pika gentlemen mentioned to me afterward, um, I had tears in my eyes when I crossed the finish line. Wow. And I think that's one of, the, one of the things that I will treasure forever is that I am one of the few, and I guess we have to dig around on this, to actually have pushed their daughter or son in a buggy on a race day. That's wild. When I was talking with Ann in, in, in a recent episode, Ann Wichner, and you kind of mentioned, right, uh, it's totally different when you're actually watching you know, especially for you, Laura, actually watching Katie go down the hill and like being so freaked out. But Anne was mentioning, you know, a lot of alums who kind of gave her hell during their day. It wasn't until they actually had children, they would come back and apologize and be like, I'm so sorry. I understand how dangerous this is now uh, and where you're coming from. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was an interesting race day, but, but it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was really kind of neat to see, come, see it come full circle. Right. Um, I am, it, it sounds like, you know, kind of what Comrade mentioned there, you still keep some of the lines and stuff like that. Is that almost like muscle memory from those discussions or? Yeah, um, I, guess, I guess you just kind of know where, you, 
know where you're meant to be and where where on the road you need to be and I remember walking part of the the hill to get to where I was going to watch the race and thinking oh my goodness those potholes are terrible oh, <laughs> you know and I was like oh that's got to make some serious bruises on your chin so you just kind of know where you're yeah. at on the road so um so um yeah you just kind of it's kind of inbred in you yeah you you know when you don't hit it right you can feel it um yeah but it, it, a lot of it is muscle memory also <laughs> something funny with the potholes and the bruises there I remember it was pretty soon into I started buggy I called my mom in panic like I don't know what's wrong with me there's bruises all over my body and I don't know how they got there um I think I might be like dying and she was like no it's it's just buggy um so you know you get battle scars along the way yeah, she thought she had some rare uh, disease or blood leukemia or something like sweet like buggy. <laughs> One thing along though too, you've, um, Laura does this maybe to some degree as well. If we're driving through Shenley Park, you know, starting starting up at the top of Hill Two and going through the free roll, Laura will take the minivan and drive a little closer to the curb than she probably should. I do not. <laughs> we go, honey. No, this, no, that's not the line. That's not the line. <laughs> Car there, we gotta get over now. And if you believe that, <laughs> that's good. I think we covered a, a good number of the high level things I was looking into. Uh, that, that said, I do want to kind of open it up if there are any particular anecdotes any of you were really wanting to share. I may not have touched on and then get to a couple other just kind of uh, closing questions, go round table. But I guess first, you know, are, were there any kind of good stories? pertaining to family or just buggy in general that, you know, you need the world to hear, you, you'd like to, to share? I mean, I, I did. I did kind of start a little bit of a stir in the buggy community um, last year when we were talking about forming um, DG racing. Uh, I, I remember so how, how it started. That's a whole other topic of discussion. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, my, my co-chair and founder, for um, DG Racing, Sophia Bataglia, her family was also a buggy family. Um, mm. Her mom and her dad both did buggy, and I can't quite remember for what organization. Theta Zai, maybe? Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Um, and then she she was sorrowfully a little too tall to, to drive, but she and I, you know, um, created DG Buggy together. But so there was, so when we started DG Buggy, there was a lot of secrecy around it because we weren't quite sure if we were starting it. We needed to get a lot of things figured out. But of course, the rumors were getting out there. And so for a few weeks after that, people would be coming up to me very concerned, like, oh, I heard, or it wasn't, it was, it was concern from Pika brothers who had heard that I was ditching Pika. And it was other friends that I had in like Fringe and CIA and, and, and SIGAP would come up to me and be like, oh, I heard, I heard you're leaving Pika for DG. Um, and then I had to squash those rumors very quickly. But for, for a little bit there, yeah, it caused quite a bit of a splash because everyone thought I was going to jump ship. Now I assured everyone that I was still, my heart was with Pika and I was still completely dedicated to winning for Pika, but um, I was gonna be kind of spearheading DG and just and just helping them figure out what Buggy is. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. I actually had a very panicked chairman come up to me um, and I had to assuade him that that DG Buggy A, I told him, I think actually what I remember telling Rob was, oh, don't worry, it's something we're talking about, it's probably never gonna happen. Um, <laughs> the chapter one support is probably never gonna happen. And then lo and behold, here we are. But yeah, so my heart has always been with Pika, but starting DG did cause <laughs> a little bit of up for a bit. 
And I think to show that, that the circle is complete between the families. Ethan, you said you pushed Brazen, you think? Can't remember. I think I pushed Basket Case. I looked back mm -hmm. on the website, but I, it may have been Brazen. I think Brazen was the A team uh, buggy, and I then moved back to the B team. Right. Yeah, so interestingly so, enough, the, the buggy that DG has been loaned by Fringe is, is Brazen. Really? Yes, <laughs> it still rolls. That's <laughs> wow. amazing. And actually, I did take the first spin in Brazen. Um, it's technically not allowed, but I made the argument to sweepstakes for safety reasons. Is I did take a day of rules where I just drove in Brazen because um, I didn't want to throw a completely new driver in that, what, 19, 20-year-old buggy. I'd much rather have an experienced driver just take that thing down the hill for the first time to see if it still rolls, which it, di it did. Um, but I've never been more grateful for how well built and comparatively comfortable the Pika buggies are. Um, that's wow! Grown up because that, magic oh, was so magic was crazy. So <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Brazen, uh, but that's that's amazing to hear that it's it's still running. And I think George is really quick at this show that this. Do you remember a Rick Costello from Bay that name? Uh, that name definitely rings a bell. Okay, uh, in fact, yeah, I'm sure that he was an underclassman. Uh, I do remember Rick Costello, but I don't remember him being. Was he on the push team? So he was a mechanic for Beta, and I actually he graduated uh, okay. seven a little okay. bit after you, and I worked with him. When I worked in industry in Texas, and he found out I was coming, we, and we actually became very good friends and remain oh, in contact to this day. But I remember about the secrecy. He said, "So we're at dinner or like you know over drinks or something." Uh -huh. He said, "So Conrad, what did you guys put on your wheels anyway?" <laughs> I said, "Number one, I don't know, and number two, I'm not going to tell you anyway." <laughs> now there there is a story, not much to do with. Uh, buggy, but do you know the story about the streetcar that was welded to the tracks? So this is back in the mid '60s, and they, they, they design, uh, the Thetas I house is the older house that's the alumni house right now, right across the street from UC. And so that older home used to be the Thetas I house, and way back in the mid 60s they used to have streetcars on tracks that would go right down forbes avenue and they stopped right in front of the theta Zai house well there's a, a compound called thermite that if you ignite it it will it will weld metal to metal railroad tracks to railroad tracks whatever so what happened was they had uh several brothers from theta Zai. they they lined up and they had $20 bills and they were getting change and taking up the guy's time and they put thermite around all four corners of the wheels and they literally welded it to the tracks and uh, it took a crane to get the thing off and they were suspended for I think three years and the the Theta Zai brothers that were freshmen at the time were seniors and they had to rush the next class so that's that's a story that I remember that's just a few years before I got there. It was so many crazy things like that. It was really the wild, wild west there for a couple of years. And there is another story, but I'm not going to tell the whole story, but there was a blackout where the entire campus blacked out in the uh, winter, you know, finals week of the winter of 71, I think. 
And, but I'm not going to go into details about that, but I know exactly how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is the statute of limitations up yet? No, I'm not going to go into details. <laughs> Fair enough. Just, just in terms of, of buggy though, I, I think if you don't go to Carnegie Mellon, you can't understand it. It's just, there is just, uh, there's just no way to explain it to somebody outside of, outside of the university. And it builds such friendships, even if like Conrad, you meet somebody who you never knew in college, but they know about buggy and it builds this, this bond and, and it's something you can talk about. Yeah, even it is true. It's crazy. Like even last night I was two nights ago on my friend does like comedy in New York and they were doing a live stream and just my name popped up, join the stream and someone, I have no idea who they are. They're like, wait, are you the buggy announcer? Like, what? <laughs> like, how? How do you know this? <laughs> yeah, they, my name should not be recognized. That, that actually spurred a, a question for me, right, Ethan? So you ended up transferring, going, going to another school. Did you explain kind of buggy and what you did to people you met there? And did they have a reaction? You know, were they like, hey, what did you do when you're at Carnegie Mellon? Well, I pushed this little torpedo with a girl in it, blah, blah, blah. Um, did, did you find yourself in that situation? You know, honestly, not too much. And I, I don't want to get too off topic, but one of the biggest issues with transferring from CMU is that the school I transferred to, Boston University, at the time had the most draconian uh, guest policy that made it impossible for you to cohabitate inside the dorm with a member of the opposite sex anytime after, I think, 10 o'clock, which made even studying difficult. Mm. And it was so asinine that all I could do during my free time was talk to people about changing the guest policy. So I didn't even talk about buggy, but, uh, but you did. Uh, I mean, Ethan became, uh, he was oh, at CMU oh. his freshman year. And then his sophomore year at the end of the sophomore year, he was president of the student body and he changed the place. Really? Well, it, but the, but the policy got worse because they oh, were very, no. they were very tricky. The policy got worse after we changed it. This, this is off topic, uh, off topic, but, but interesting nonetheless the, the, yeah they, they, they let they let the policy change but you know they give it to you and then they make it even worse yeah anyway circ yeah. circling back to buggy um <laughs> though it is fun i do like to it is called shoot the shit you know we're not shoot the shit um checking on any other anecdotes and then if not um i guess just kind of some big picture reflections we'll kind of get to um but any other buggy related stories or things like that the only thing i can think that's buggy oh actually no related to buggy so the legacy still continues so what's the best way of explaining it our godson is now a freshman he would have pushed for c well, he's pushed he's on cia right now and his dad was chairman of cia when laura was a driver and i was a pusher and his wife pushed for he was in kappa kappa gamma she pushed for kdr back when kdr was around and she was my wife's roommate. So talk about like, you know, the world is, they're circles. The Venn diagrams are shrinking. And sh I mean, you know, the overlap is just so huge. It's kind of funny that I actually as the CAA advisor and also the fringe advisor, separate story of how that happened, that they knew that, you know, a chairman's kid, a legacy's coming, you should recruit him. And they recruited him and got him during our, um, after uh, orientation. So the first week of classes. It is wild, just the, I think another kind of testament sort of right to the relationship thing is 
the ways right alumni stay involved. So right, you are an advisor to organizations, I guess. But but even within that, right, how much knowledge gets passed down, and you know how active alumni are in their involvement. I think it's one that's interesting. So what I think, you know, is so I, I tell the, I tell both orgs, you know, that especially CIA, I'm an alum, but it's your organization. Just as long as you don't break any rules, you know, I'll back you up. And the same thing with fringe. So I became a fringe advisor when a lot of my students were mechanics for fringe and they needed a, they needed a fume hood. I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so that's why they used one in the lab. And every time I try to, I want to say ditch fringe. That sounds awful, but give someone else the opportunity. I'm guilted <laughs> back into helping them out because I'm a firm believer that every organization, buggy and non-buggy, needs to have either a staff or faculty advisor. Cool. So I, I appreciate you all joining in. This has been some really fun. Uh, Thanks for exciting. organizing. So, well, yeah, this was, for, this for sure. Brought back sure. memories for me, and I know Ethan as well. Yeah, I, I do want to ask just kind of one last question before we all just sign off. Sort of. You know, we talked a little bit about relationships and stuff like that, but if, if you could think, and, you know, Katie, this may be a little more difficult for you, but kind of looking back on, you know, what the impact of Buggy was to you and kind of the biggest personal takeaway you've, you've had from the involvement of the sport. I always like to just hear these and with some distance what, what people have thought about that. The, the, my elders are forming their opinion. I mean, I, I just want to win. And, but, you know, in, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for Paika and I'm, I'm incredibly proud of DG and how we've managed to pull ourselves together. And yeah, I, I just want to win. Yeah. And I will say, well, give everybody else some more time to formulate an answer or whatever. Um, uh, maybe na- hypothetically, this podcast will go on. I don't know. I'm having fun. And I guess that's all that really matters for its future. Um, but it, it would be interesting to talk DG maybe next year going into race day after having kind of a couple of years in some ways under your belt. Mm-hmm. One more anecdote for me is, you know, race day didn't happen this year, but I like to say that I won and I have a pretty good case for it because um, going into spring break, I was the only driver completely qualified for race day. Um, I got all of my uh, shoots, uh, all of my um, rolls in. I got my pass test in. So I'd like to say that I kind of. Oh, man. No humility there at all, my dear. Uh, (laughs) I'll I'll let the chair know. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I I think, you know, one thing, just look, I think it's, and I tell the students, you know, in the end, you know, it's very Carnegie Mellon. You get hyped up. It's competitive. You put everything on the table. But in the grand scheme of things, no one remembers really who won or lost unless you won or came in second. <laughs> but, you know, because um, we all remember who won when I was there. It was Spirit, 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 Pika. And we had, I was cheering for Pika that year. So the, um, I think, you know, it's the relationships. It's the skills. It's the grit. It's the team pulling together, you know, it's having, you know, I think the foxhole analogy is probably a little bit overused, but, you know, a bunch of people working hard for a singular goal. I mean, it's a team. And Mm -hmm. I think, and then that's a skill that uh, transcends Carnegie Mellon, Buggy, et cetera. And, you know, as people have mentioned numerous times, it's a great interview thing when you said, so, so tell me something special about, or something different you did in college you have a completely great line of, of uh, 
talk to go in. Yeah, I was I was really racking my brain to 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 think back to the dark ages. It seems so long ago um, now, but just having had this chat this evening, I think the one memory that keeps coming back is just the thrill of cheering on your teammates, even when it wasn't your race, but just pulling together and you know yeah it's great to win or it's great to come in close but knowing that you did your best and that you did it with these people that you've grown close to i think that i just get that and and watching katie last year i kind of had a little bit of that adrenaline rush again it's just like this is it you're part of something bigger than you and on those yeah that brings back something for me i can remember all of the effort that went into the mechanics and everybody designing the buggy putting it together all the work that went into the buggy, all the skill that the driver had, and I was one of the five guys that were that were pushing this from the start to the finish line, and for 22 or 26 seconds, however long that hill five was, I was in heaven. It was great. Ethan, any reflections? Boy, I, I don't have anything, honestly, I don't have anything unique. Um, I guess right now I'm just reflecting back to seeing how happy buggy made other people in my family seeing how happy it made everyone on all the hills and mm. it's it's fascinating and i i think it's uh it's just much more exciting than football i wish more universities did it and there was a way to take it to the olympics um it was interesting so having lived in pittsburgh for a while now um how many people in pittsburgh who've lived here all their lives have never heard of this before yeah other than the fact they were trying to drive through Shenley Park on Saturday morning, <laughs> on Sunday morning, and can't get through. And then there was that weird Thursday and Friday, or that weird Friday, but they can't get through at all. Or you work at Phipps, and you hate us entirely. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I do think that is an interesting point, kind of, Ethan, of, right, it is both something you'd love to see more of, but also makes it so special that it is just CMU, and you know, beyond the legal standpoint, because it was interesting. I, I talked with the advisors in the last episode and, you know, other, they talk about going to student activities conferences and, you know, describing buggy and all the other student activities. People are like, you guys, what? Like, how is that safe? And how do you handle the liability? And it's, it's kind of evolved in a very natural sort of CMU way in a marriage of, you know, kind of like you were saying, uh, technology, athleticism, camaraderie, planning, dedication, you know, which I think draws a lot of people. Well, yeah, no, I really appreciate you all um, joining in. This has been really fun, interesting and exciting stuff. So, you know, I Thanks uh, for the invite. continue having fun on these and thank you so much for sharing your stories. So there you have it. Uh, Family episode, not too much family feuding, lots of family fun. Uh, as always, love to hear your feedback on these episodes. You can hop in our Discord, cmubuggy.org slash chat. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know suggestions for future episodes, anything like that. Uh, we do have one more in the queue. Uh, the SDC Dynasty episode is still forthcoming. Uh, hope to have that out next week or in two weeks. Uh, so we appreciate your patience on that. 
Um, once again, I have to give major thanks to the Buggy Alumni Association for helping make this project possible, uh, very specifically Rachel Schmidt, uh, who has also stepped into the editing role uh, and putting this together to make sure we're getting these out on time. So incredibly grateful for all of her help and uh, incredibly grateful for all of you who listen. So thanks again for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you next time here on Shoot the Shit.